Father, hallowed be your name. You would so work in our hearts that we would, as Mike called us to already this morning, I pray that we would say, how majestic is your name with shouts of praise welling up in our hearts. Your name is hallowed, and I pray that we would hallow your name in all the earth. Oh God, I pray that we would rejoice in the irony of your power that you use babies and infants and the praise that comes out of their mouth or the weak and vulnerable to overcome the wise and the strong. Thank you for the wonder of your care that we small creatures that we are compared to the galaxies and universe, we are cared for by you. I pray that we would be overwhelmed with the word, what your will is for us and what you've made for us. And oh God, thank you. And I pray that we would praise the majesty of your name as we ponder the certainty of your plan that you will reign through Jesus Christ until all his enemies are made a footstool and you will reign forever with us including us in your glorious reign forever. God, this morning, I pray that you'd help us as a people to live joyful, faith-filled, submissive lives to you. I pray that we would bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. I pray that you'd save us, save us from ourselves and from our greed and our lusts, Save those who have never had their sins forgiven. Remove their sins and bring them into faith into you. Sanctify us. Make us holy. God, make us conformed into the image of your son Jesus individually and corporately as a body. Make us complete in Christ. And would you satisfy us? Satisfy us in you. Give us a joy in you, a happiness in you, a gladness in you, a hope that's in you. God, please do that in our hearts. God, would you heal us as a people, heal us as a nation, bringing us into the repentance of our sins and rebellion to you. I pray that you'd give us as Christians wisdom in this world, give us courage and faith and joy in the decisions or the situations in which we need to respond. I pray that you would help our nation even this week, protect our nation as we have a transfer of presidential authority and power. God, blessed be the name of God forever ever and ever to whom all wisdom and might is belong. Wise and to those who have no wisdom, you can give it to them as they seek you. Would you make us a praying people and a praising people? I pray that we would not waste this morning. I pray that we would not waste our energy. We would not waste with daydreaming or just a whole humness about 
your glory. And so for that, I ask that you just awaken us to this beauty of of Psalm 8. I pray for the McMasters in Brazil, and I pray that you'd protect them, bless them. And I pray that you would be with the Bradleys in the United Kingdom, both of them in Christianized nations from the past, but still dealing with so much difficulties and trials and challenges. I pray that you'd make them faithful and fruitful. God, I pray for those who are sick, those who are locked down because of the virus. Be with those that are not able to join us because of those reasons, and I pray that you would bless them, and I pray that you would use this video live stream. Gather us all together as one people soon, if it be your will. Now open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Psalm 8? Psalm 8 is our text. In the month of November, I began a series on the Psalms, of course, starting with Psalm 1. And in Psalms 1 and 2, we had introductory Psalms that really set the tone for all of the Psalms. And then in Psalms 3 through 7, we find Psalms that are laments or cries from King David unto the Lord. They are agonizing Psalms. They're confident Psalms. They're psalms that are in crisis. David is running and fleeing from Absalom, his son who wants to kill him, and he calls out to God in lament, a cry of grief, as well as a cry of desperate prayer and of hope in God alone. God is his refuge. And now we come to Psalm 8, and it is like a mountain peak. It is a peak or a mountain of praise to God as he praises the God of the heavens. It is a glorious, some of the most beautiful words of poetry in all the world. We should not be surprised because they are inspired by God given to David. So look with me at Psalm 8. There's only nine verses. In your Bibles... At least my ESV Bible, it says, how majestic is your name. That's not an inspired phrase. That's just from the ESV translators. They put that there. But when you have the all caps letters after that, usually that is very ancient and probably even could be inspired. If not, I always consider it as authoritative to help us understand and get this sense here. So we know it's a Psalm of David to the choir master. We don't know much more about that according to Giddeth. We just know it's supposed to be sung, and it's from David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've set in place, mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. 
You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and all the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Do you see the theme of this psalm? It's packaged real well, beginning in the end. He opens and he closes. Verses 1 and verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The majesty of God is on display in Psalm 8. Have any of you ever addressed, and it wasn't a joke or sarcasm, you know, you might say to your spouse, okay, your majesty, and that's not what I'm talking about. Has anybody ever said your majesty in all seriousness to somebody? I never have. I was was listening to Sinclair Ferguson. He's from the UK or from Scotland. And I guess at one point in his life, he must have come to royalty. and And he said one time in his life, it was appropriate to say to a person, your majesty. And he said there was this chill that went down his spine and almost like his hairs were prickling. He's like, I never felt that sensation in my life to say to somebody that is, was at least owed it, at least in that country, your majesty. We might say you're Mr. President. We might say um, your honor, but your majesty. This Psalm declares the majesty of God. The psalmist's response to the name of God is what this David, this psalmist, declares and cries, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This idea of majesty has to do with the idea of Something, not so much fear, though there's a reverence kind of fear, but it has the common thread in scriptures to be one of majesty is impressive, almost intimidating, power, authority, and honor. It is a power that is visible on display for all to see. We You might think for a minute, what are the things that you describe majesty to? We might say the majesty of the mountains range, the majesty of the Grand Canyon, and even, as this psalm says, the night skies. David is in awe and adoration and praise to God for his name. I want you to just note at the beginning and not pass over it. He says, O Lord, our Lord. And if you look in your Bibles, you'll see that the spelling, at least the way they spell it, is different in the capitalization. O Lord, all capitals, our Lord, just a capital L. Because what 
in the Hebrew, he's saying, oh, Yahweh. Every time you see all capitals, it's Yahweh. It's the name that God gave to himself for his people in Exodus chapter 3 when he says, when Moses says, who should I say is sending me to you? Tell them I am that I am. I am is sending you. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. I have been and I will be forever. I am this God. This is the God that makes his promises to his people to save and rescue and show mercy and steadfast love. And David says, oh, Yahweh, our Lord, which is the idea, our ruler, our sovereign. O Yahweh, our covenant God, our sovereign. Oh, when I think of your name, your name, which name means more than just, oh, that's a beautiful name. I should never say it. We should never take it out of, in vain, as the commandments say. But he means your reputation, your character who you are, and what you show yourself to be. When I think about who you really are, I, I have to worship. Now, do you see the worship in this psalm? The, the way this psalm is laid out, how majestic is your name in all the earth? My, the ESV version says, how majestic is your name in all the earth? And there's no question mark after it. Look at the punctuation. It's an exclamation mark. Because you see how majestic is worship language. It's what you do when you go, how awesome was that book? Or please forgive me, how awesome was that touchdown by the Packers? Amen. Amen. Uh, how awesome. It's, it's worship language. And David is bringing us to it. And so we are missing, the, we are missing this. If we sit here and, and get bored by Psalm 8, or if we, get, if we are not touched and moved to the depths of our heart by the name of God this morning, and not just this morning, for the rest of our lives, it is the calling of every human being in this creation to say, how majestic is your name. You have allowed me to see your name for as it really is. And more than I could ever feel the awesomeness of saying your majesty to a king or a queen. We come before Sunday after Sunday as a gathered people. And we are to say how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we praise him in the name of Jesus Christ. So I just want us to ponder that, just to be impacted by that. Let's look at verses 2 through 8, which really is the inside of that passage. 1a and verse 9 give us, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Verses 1b through 8 says, here's some reasons why. His name is so awesome. Why you need to be in awe. Why you need, to, you need to use worship language and you need to be on your knees and rejoice and sing and declare the gladness and the goodness of this God. Here's four things. I came across these four. I came across them in a commentary by Dale Davis and they were so helpful. Four reasons 
of praise in the psalm. Here they are. Number one, give praise to God because of the irony of his power. Give praise to God because of the irony of his power. David is in awe of God's majestic name because of this power. And when I say irony of his power, I mean this. God uses what seems like non-strength, weakness, vulnerability, feeble, to be the instrument of his mighty, saving power and strength over his enemies. And for that, I say it's ironic. You see it here. Look at 1B. You have set your glory above the heavens. It's just, it is, your glory is awesome. It's above all things. The greatest thing, now look at, it, it, there's a contrast going right into verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and infants. See the contrast? You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You see, babies and infants in, in David's language means the refer to the weakest, the most vulnerable. They have no wisdom in, the, in and of themselves. They don't know nothing yet. They're dependent on every, everybody around them. They're parents. They're weak. They're not admirable. And yet... God uses babies and infants out of their mouths in order to defeat God's foes and to be like a stronghold against his avengers and enemies. He used the small nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says that God didn't go, okay, I need a nation big enough to beat my enemies because I need some help here. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says it was not because you were more in number than other peoples of the, that God chose you. You were the fewest. That's okay. I'm in, out of the mouth of babes and infants. I'm going to establish my strength. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, Paul says this to the church in humbling them and reminding them. He says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Paul said of his own ministry that we as pastors or leaders or people that proclaim the truth, I'm, we're just jars of clay. And God uses us to show his, the power belongs to God and not to us. So in this passage, David is praising God, his majesty, and he's saying, it is out of mouths of babes and infants that God chooses to defeat his enemies and destroy them. He uses the weak and the vulnerable. And I, I could encourage you to trace in your mind through from Genesis to Revelation how God is constantly using weak things Little David, the youngest of his family, to defeat both Goliath and become the great king of Israel. It is God that uses weak and small ways in order to show that it is his power and not human power that can do it. Ponder this. 
God has enemies. God has enemies. Satan and Satan's rebellion in leading to the fall of humankind and those that will set themselves against God. Read Psalm 2 and you see that. But enemies are never a problem for God. Think about that. Enemies are like, they pose no problem for him even a little bit. He, he could at a moment, at just, at just like that, he could say, enemies gone forever. He, he could just think it and it's gone. And yet he chooses to still the avenger, to fend off and remove and bring strength against his enemies by using babies and infants. This passage was used on Palm Sunday when Jesus cleanses the temple. He's healing the blind and the deaf, and and they're amazed by it. And these children, little children, start praising God and saying, Hosanna in the highest. This this must be the Lord. And the the scribes, the high priests say to Jesus, stop them. Stop them right now. They're blasphemy. They're crediting to you the glory and majesty of his name because they knew, they knew that they, he was, they were giving him praise like God. And Jesus knew the Psalms. He looks at them and he says, out of the mouth of babes and infants, he has declared praise. And he just stops right there. And they knew their Bibles and they would have known, um, you're saying we're the enemy and the avenger of God? And Jesus says, yes, and they're declaring the majesty of God seen in my works out of the mouth of babes and infants. Part, what comes out of mouths? Well, praise, response of faith in God. We live in a world today where the wrong also seems so strong, right? Look around us in our country. Far too often in church, it's just like God to use what seems like defeats to bring victory in the lives and hearts of people. And it is, it is about God's people that they realize that the majesty of God's name means it doesn't matter if everything seems bad from a human perspective. God uses the praising of his people. Praises that come from the hearts of faith and trust, anchored to his word, submitted to Christ. And God would use a little church like ours. He'd use little people like ours. He would, when things seem despairing around us, we get on our knees and say, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you establish your praise. You've always done it. You're going to do it. And we praise you, oh God. There's a reason to praise God for the majesty of his name. Do you see it? Do you see the majesty of his name and the irony of his power? But secondly, I want you to see, give praise to God because of the wonder of his care. The wonder of his care. Friday night, Molly and I took a walk, and we we enjoy walking down Reed Road, and we have good relationships with our farmer friends, and we take these trails around the creek, and we're out in the farm fields, and it's just beautiful. And that night, I mean, we had a, we had a rainy slash snowy day on Friday. And then it cleared up. And I was really glad because I've been studying this all week. And I'm like, I want to see the stars. 
and it cleared up and we saw the stars that night. And, and we looked up and saw the grandeur in just a little bit of, in a little bit of God's glorious handiwork and creation. I, I love this. I read this week. On a clear night, David could likely see two to 3,000 stars. What if he had a good pair of binoculars? He could have seen up to 100,000. What if David knew that if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system would fit in a coffee cup, and that the Milky Way is one of perhaps 10, 100 billion such galaxies in the universe. He probably would have been even more staggered than he was, but he had enough to stagger him, to be impressed with the massive vastness of his world over against the apparent, his apparent insignificance. Look at verse 3, and I want you to see the second contrast, the contrast between when he says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. David's, David's smart enough to know that the stars aren't small and God needed his little fingers for that. It, this point is, metaf this is a poetic way of saying, God, you're so big, the grandness of the stars and the galaxies, you, you could fit them in your fingers. You designed them. You're, you're overall. You are grand and glorious. All these things that you have set in place. And then the contrast is, what is man in comparison to the grandness of the stars? So small. So small. What is man that you are mindful of him? That you, you put your mind and you care for him. The son of man that you care for him. And yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. Oh, David, he looks at the majesty of the heavens that God has made and, he, and he, he falls on his knees and he sees another kind of majesty of the name of God and it is the grace of God, the condescending love of God that God, who is so big and so glorious, cares for small human beings in comparison to all who God is. I, I hope that we will just feel the profoundness, the glory, the grandeur, the majesty of the, the name of God for us human beings in this passage. That though we could see the galaxies with tele, Hubble telescopes, see all of, all of the grandeur of this creation, at least a speck of it, and see how amazing and grand and big it is that the God who made that, who breathed them into existence, and it was good, that God says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? And why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are more valuable than they. You are more valuable than the birds that I create. Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. In this passage, he says, I consider all these things. How is it that, how is that God is mindful of us and that he cares for us? He cares about you today. He cares about your problems he cares about your 
good relationships and really difficult relationships. He cares about your health and he cares about your future and he cares about the things that you would put on a list that you would define as deep burdens. He cares about all of you. Now, the point here in this, he's mindful of human beings because he has put them in a status that is unique over all creation. We're going to see that in the third point here. God is the maker of the universe. I think this morning we need to realign ourselves and get under God and humble ourselves and thank God and put our trust in him, but also worship him and say, God, thank you that you care for me. Thank you for you care, you care for that doctor's appointment. You care for me, and you care for my eternal joy. And so you're working even all of the trials and tribulations for my good. Even if I don't like the answer that you have for me now, I will someday really be thankful for all that you have allowed in my life because you are good. You care for me. God is this maker of the universe. All around us, we sing of his radiance his glory, his wisdom, might, and power. And above all those, um, among those many things, we should say, he cares for me. He stoops down and cares for little creatures like us. But not more than that, he sets us up in a glorious position of which is the third thing I want you to see of our praise. Faith Church, give praise, number three. Give praise to God because of the clarity of his revelation. The clarity of his revealing of himself, of his will. Now, that might be a little bit harder to see at first, and this is what I'm going to explain to you. Look at verses 5 through 8. Yet you have made him. He, he just finished saying, it's amazing what you've done. You, you're mindful of us. You care for human beings. Even though you're glorious and you're so big, we're so little. Yet you have made him man, mankind, found him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, all those things. And then he goes, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Now, how does David know? How does David know that a little speck of who David is compared to the galaxies. God has given him honor, has crowned human beings with honor and glory, has given human beings dominion over the works of his hands, has given them over all these things. The nations around, the, the view that, of the pagan nations around David, they wouldn't have viewed mankind that way. This was not the worldview that David was living in among all the nations. They didn't view human beings as great and glorious, they, would have, they were the slaves of the gods. That's what human beings are. How does David know? Well, in our world, people's view of mankind is not this. It is, well, either a humanistic worldview that says, well, man is really important. We're going to put ourselves as the center of the universe just because we want to. We're selfish. Or because... Or we might have a nihilistic worldview that says we're just a pile of atoms and we're just going to kind of burn out someday and that's just all we are. We're just a random chance and a bunch of things coming together. That's what humankind is. But David knows it's something else. David knew the Bible. Well, the Bible that had been given to him so far, which would have been the law. 
the works of Moses. And David had read his, the scriptures, and he knew from Genesis 1, the, and he rejoices, in the, and we can rejoice in the clarity of scripture, the clarity of God revealing himself to us. God has told us in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, that we are a special creation. Look at verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let us let them, man, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. I'm going to skip down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We find here that God had made humankind, man and woman, man made in the image of God, male and female, as his viceroys. That a viceroy is a ruler that is exercising authority on the behalf of a sovereign. God is over, over all things, but he delegates authority and power to humankind and says, go subdue it, have dominion over it, care for it, tend it, be good stewards of it. But you've been given authority over all things. And that's what David is re worshiping God over. He's saying, but you are mindful of man. You, you made us in your image, in the image of you, to be your representatives to the world, to see and show off your glory, how we... And we've been given this real glory and authority under God. What a privilege. I just want us to ponder the fact that how majestic is God's name is God is so clear in his revelation of his will for us like this, that he has given us this honor and glory. We are special. God has put humankind's, humankind, he's given to us as image bearers of God. And so all the people that are in our lives, one another, we should be in a certain type of reverence and thanks to God for this creation. That's why we should value all life. Whether they be the unborn, no matter what color they are, whether what situation they're in and what country they're in, we value life. They're made in the image of God. And here he rejoices in the fact. And he's basically gives a poetic paraphrase of Genesis 1 as he declares to God how God has given authority and power in, in ruling authority to humankind on this earth over all things. This has implications for us in our lives. God gave humankind the ability to visiting Gloria Yesterday, Gloria Kirschman, who had a heart transplant. I mean, there is the majesty of God put in, in human beings to be able to do heart transplants. Isn't that just incredible? I mean, think of all the things when you all the things you glory you you just take for granted as you drove in today. 
whether it be you, you checked your cell phone and you checked the weather or you checked something else on the phone and all the technology put into that and all the, all, your, your automobile and you, the, the heat and the lights in your house and all the comforts, the refrigerator you took the milk out because, and it kept it fresh so you could have cereal or whatever it is. All of this has been brought to us by God putting in, human, in man and women the ability to take things out of this universe, this world, and to be able to, to put it together to subdue it in a way that we can benefit from it. Whether it be mechanical engineering and electro, electronic engineering or physics or biology, atomic um, exploration, aerospace, medicine. God has given us dominion over those things. Now, you're pondering this, you go, yeah, we haven't done, we've done some good things with it, but like really mess things up. We look around and the world is, is not great. There's wickedness. And cancer and disease. There is problems that are often, are so often caused by the selfishness, greed, lust of mankind. Which would lead us to say, yeah, David, you've given us, you said that all authority or look, has been given to them. But boy, we're still wanting. Things are still not right. That we must, Psalm 8 leads us to praise God's name for. Number four, God, give praise to God because of the certainty of his plan. And I want you to drop back to verse 6, and I want to point out something. And in verse 6, he says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, in one sense, he's talking about whose feet? Mankind's feet. You've given... Genesis 1, mankind to have dominion over the earth. But we all know that though there's some dominion that we have on the earth, there's a lot lacking and it's not fulfilled and there's something wrong. This is, this is not the way it should be ultimately. God's, there's something here though. We are to praise God because God, while God shows his ironic strength and he highlights his wisdom, glory, we praise God because of his we saw because he's a creator God who cares for us. But in this verse, I want you to see that David is, it, whether David knows it or not, we as New Testament Christians can trace throughout the New Testament and into the Old Testament and say, God means something even greater than what's happening now. Thank God. Because you see, there's another Psalm, Psalm 110, where David says, the Lord said to me, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That was a prophetic psalm saying that someday the king of the universe, who is the man of all man's men from Genesis 1, will, will have authority over everything, dominion over everything. The idea of a footstool, it's where you put, you put your feet on it. Your feet are over it and you have authority. And so what we find, and I'm, Look with me at Hebrews 2 as we get close to closing. Hebrews 2, verse 5. And this, the Hebrew author quotes Psalm 8. 
And in, here he says, in Hebrews 2.5, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and we'll all go, Psalm 8. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Can you follow? So he's, he's quoting Psalm 8. Now, here's the interpretation. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he's still talking about mankind, not Jesus. He left nothing out of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, into mankind. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation. Friends, Psalm 8 says the majesty of God's name ultimately should cause our hearts to worship and say, oh, I praise you for the certainty of your plan. You said that you will bring all things under mankind's feet. Oh, we could never do it, but there was another man that came, a new Adam, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, namely Jesus, as Hebrew says, and he suffered death, entered the garden of Gethsemane, entered the wilderness of this world that's plagued by sin, and he defeated it, and he has been given, he tasted death for all those, all people in this sense, and for all who put their trust in God, he makes them sons of glory forever. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he must reign until he makes all his enemies a footstool, and the last enemy that he will defeat is death. What this psalmist really should point us to do is to say, oh, though we don't see all this happening, yet we know in the certainty of God's plan that he has sent his son Jesus. In the majesty of his name, in the majesty of Jesus, he reigns all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He says to us, our marching orders as a church, go make disciples and by the way, I'm going to allow you to make it. I'm going to make you fruitful in making disciples because all authority has been given to me and I will be with you to the ends of the earth. My plan is certain. Someday we will enjoy the great glory of the dominion of all things subjected to the true man, Jesus Christ, and we with him. And we will enjoy heavens and earth and a new heavens and an earth forever. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Faith Church, praise him now with all your life. If you're here this morning and you have never bowed the knee to King Jesus, praise him by submitting to him and asking him to forgive you of your sins. Jesus Christ has defeated death and sin, your sin and your future death. 
on the cross if you will but trust him and call upon the name of the Lord. Trust him when the wrong seems so strong, everyone. Trust and submit to him and marvel at his plans. Declare and present this majesty to others. Declare this majesty for yourself to your children and your grandchildren and your nephews and nieces and to your Sunday school class and to your small group and on Wednesday night and at your work and to your neighborhood. Look to the person of this majesty, namely Jesus, the true man, the true Adam. All authority has been given to him. How great is our God. How great is our God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up to lead us as we worship and sing in the majesty of our God. Father, please. Father, please, would you grip my heart more, grip our hearts more to you and your majesty. I pray that whatever trials and tribulations that we are dealing with, whatever plans or ventures that we're facing, they would be all done through the lens of it and trust in you. Oh God, change us as a people. Help, don't, don't leave us as we are. Bring us into the gladness of your holiness as we declare your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's praise our great and glorious God.